Amen. Hey, let's take your Bibles and let's turn to the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we're going to venture through the crucifixion, the resurrection story, and, and hopefully really encourage you this morning. Uh, this has been such a long year since last Easter. It's, in, it's hard to believe uh, last Easter I had to do something very painful. I, I pre-recorded the message on Thursday, and on Easter Sunday last year, I had to sit in my home and watch myself preach. Oh, my goodness. I have a new admiration for you all. Let me just tell you, appreciation for you. Uh, but anyway, so it's, it's been a, a long year, and we've been coming back in person uh, for a good bit, and it's kind of uh, slowly built back up. And this, we knew today would be a big, big day, and we're excited to have you back. And I know many of you are here for, uh, you're with family and friends. I love seeing the family sit together. I'm sorry if many of you had to divide and, and maybe sit in different locations to fit in. Uh, but I, I appreciate so much you coming today. And, and here's, the, here's the hope of Easter. This is the work of Easter. This is what Christ did through his resurrection, is he gave us hope that we can change. We don't have to stay the way we are. And you say, well, I kind of like the way we are. Let's talk about that. <laughs> we have some brokenness, don't we? We have some challenges. We've, we've even seen challenges a, a across our world with the pandemic, and, and we know we, we all battle the idea of physical death, but we have an even bigger problem, and that's spiritual death. And so we've got, we've got a lot of challenges, a lot of things that, that are big problems. But resurrection tells us those things have an answer. They can change. And not just spiritual and physical type things that are big. You can change in, in your daily walk. As I, as I was watching myself preach, I, I said, you know, I need to change a couple of things. <laughs> you ought to watch yourself talk. Listen to yourself. I looked and I said, well, I, I, why do I do that? You ever looked at your life and go, why do I do that? The resurrection says there is power for change. I'm going to be doing a series uh, starting next week. I hope you come back. We're going to do a series called Everyday Family. Hadn't preached on the family in a long time, talking about marriage, raising kids, and all those things. It's kind of a favorite topic of mine. I've enjoyed being a parent, and my kids have kind of grown up, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've got to start. I, I'm going to run out of stories. So many of my analogies and stories and preaching come from having uh, uh, kids, and my kids they're going to have mansions in heaven for being the subjects of my uh, sermons so often. I mean, it's just not fair. But uh, some, of, some of the analogies that I use, literally, you all never forget. My two youngest are now graduating high school. And I bet some of you could stand up here and tell a story that I said four years ago, a month after they were the first week of their ninth grade year at Buholtz. How many of you know what story I'm talking about? Raise your hand. The rest of you look around. You don't know what I preached last week. But you remember that story. And the reason that you remember this story, and I'm going to tell it in just a second, is because it was embarrassing. It was humiliating for me personally. And so I'm just grateful you remember those things. But it's also because you can identify with my failure as a father, as a parent. You can identify with these teenagers who were embarrassed. What did I do? Well, it was their first week of school, and, 
I was trying to convince my kids, they were in ninth grade, in between, you know, I was trying to convince them they should ride the bus to school. You know, and no one, they don't want to ride the bus, you know, but I said, it's a great idea. So we were running late that first week, and I said, I've got it. We'll go catch that bus at Publix that picks them up right there at Publix there in Hill, Hill Village. And uh, I said, jump in the car. Made them rush down to, to Publix, and we were behind the bus. And so I knew we were going to catch it when it stopped. But there was a line of traffic, so it stopped, and I had to get around that line of traffic, run through, race through the parking lot of Publix, made them run through the ditch and get on the bus. You can imagine how happy they were with me. They were really happy when about 10 minutes later, they realized they were on the wrong bus, <laughs> right? I had sent my freshmen, I had made them get, they were hole students, I would made them get on a high school bus to Eastside. <laughs> Eastside is on the east side. I mean, it couldn't have been any further away. I had to get in my car and race the back way around Gainesville, and I got there about 10, 10 or so minutes after they were dropped off the bus at East Side, their freshman first week of school. And there they were, alone, sitting on the curb, looking at me. <laughs> and y'all laugh. You laugh because you can identify. You can identify with their glare, their anger, and my embarrassment, and my failure. Now, why would I tell you such a humiliating story? It's not really to get a laugh. The Lord is always kind of calling up stories in my mind to help teach you things. I want you to remember spiritual principles. And I try to use unforgettable stories, and they're true. I don't make them up. Uh, unforgettable stories that will carry that principle into your life. And maybe some of you remember that message is to make sure you're on the right bus. Are you on the right bus? And I'm going to bring that back up at the end of this message, but... Mark, the gospel writer, puts a very embarrassing moment in his gospel. And I think this embarrassing moment, I think it's Mark, the writer of this gospel. And he's, he's kind of writing Peter's version. Mark is not one of the original 12. He was another, John Mark, he was another disciple that followed along with Paul. Remember John Mark got in a lot of trouble because he got scared got tired of the, and he, he left, abandoned the apostle Paul, and Paul, it took him uh, decades to kind of forgive John Mark and welcome him back, so Mark knew about failing, and he was representing, as he's writing the gospel of Mark, he's representing Peter, Peter understood embarrassment and shame and failure, have you ever failed you ever failed Jesus? I have. But at the end of this gospel, Mark puts a story in here, and, and it's going to be strange, and I hope I can explain it well. It's using garments, clothing, the linen shroud that they buried Jesus in, and, and the white robe of a guy in a tomb. And we're going to look at that, but here's what he's telling us. Uh, you can change. Failure is not the end of your story. It wasn't the end of Jesus' story. And his resurrection means that if you're still sitting here today and you're not who you really want to be and you've not done what you know you really ought to do or if you're worried about your eternal life and you're not sure you have a relationship with God you're not sure what would happen when you die or you're looking back on some extreme regrets, some things that you, you wouldn't share in a sermon, 
If you're looking back, the resurrection means you can be forgiven. You can be restored, and you can change. Let me show you, let me show you this. So stick with me for the next few minutes. In Mark chapter 14, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has betrayed Jesus, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by, and we know from another gospel, this is Peter, took out his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus healed it, and then he said to the military guys there, I was in the temple every day teaching. You did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. If you come at, why do you come at me as a robber with swords? So he's talking back to them. But during all of this, as Jesus is being taken by the temple police uh, that are there, notice what it says in verse 50. These are his guys. These are the ones who left everything to follow him. Now they leave him to follow their fears. And they all left him and fled. They all left him. And then he inserts in verse 51 a picture. It's one of those unforgettable pictures. It's a a wardrobe malfunction that's now a part of our vocabulary. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body... And they grabbed this young man, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. An embarrassing moment. This was a young man who was, I guess, following Jesus. And now he left everything, including the shirt on his back, to flee Jesus. Now, if we jump over the crucifixion, he went to the cross for us, but now he's on the cross in verse 42 of chapter 15. I want you to follow the garments. I want you to think about the clothing here, and and I'll come back to it. It says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. It only took six hours. It normally could take days. Then summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned this from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph brought, bought a linen shroud. You guessed it. Same Greek word. Basically, it was a, a, a square-type piece of cloth that they would sew together at the top, and it would, they'd put a hole in it, and you could put your head through it. And, and, and a lot of people would use it as their pajamas. But it was also something that you could use to wrap a body and put it in a tomb, a linen shroud. And they laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, that's the same Mary, mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, or Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were, they, they were at the tomb saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw another young man. A young man sitting on the right side of the tomb, dressed in a what? A white robe. And they were alarmed. 
And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Look at the place right here where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, as we look through this passage and this embarrassing moment, most of the scholarship over the last 2,000 years has been trying to answer the question, who is the naked runaway? Who is this guy who ran? A lot of people think it was Mark inserting his own embarrassing moment. And it was him. Others think it was uh, just a kind of a made-up figure that was put in there. We know it was not made up. There are all sorts of scholarly guesses. Some people think he put it in there to remind you of like Joseph fleeing in the Old Testament when he was fleeing Potiphar's wife. There's all sorts of scholarship about who this runaway is. I believe that that's not Mark's main issue. Who this runaway is, is us. This runaway represents all of those disciples who had just fled. Verse 50, all of him fled. Verse 51, here's a picture. I think of how Peter must have felt about himself for running. How John must have felt about himself when he fled the scene. This young man fleeing, losing, and just running away naked, when they saw that happen, and when they knew that happened, they said, that is the perfect illustration of our fallibility and our epic failure in the garden. Let's put him in. Let's put him in the sermon. People need to see, this is what the disciples of Jesus did to Jesus. We failed him, and we fled in fear. What a great illustration. It couldn't have been any better. And the people won't forget the naked runaway. And I think the message to us is, we do the same thing. We may not do it in as public a way. And we're not facing the, the soldiers the way that Jesus and the disciples did. But I think in little ways, you and I run from full obedience. Sometimes we run, and we know if we're honest that we're running from what we know we ought to do. Have you ever ran from a conversation, a gospel conversation you know you should have had? Have you ever fled the scene? Have you ever fled the scene in a conflict where you know that you're just not resolving anything, but you're just going to push it down the road a little bit more? Have you ever fled the scene of a relationship you know you need to bring back together, and you need to repent, and you need to ask forgiveness, but you just won't? And your pride has caused you, I'm just not going, I'm not going there, I'm not going to do it. I bet all of us, if we really think about it, have fled true discipleship many, many times. You say, well, I knew that. You didn't have to preach a sermon to tell me that. Well, Mark's not just trying to condemn us. He turns the corner and he says, listen, you can change. And here's how he shows us you can change. He takes us into the tomb... And in the tomb, we have different versions of this, and they're all showing the same uh, version in the different Gospels from a different angle. And we know that there were a couple of angels associated with, with this, but Mark wants to highlight 
the fact that when he walks, when these witnesses, these young, these women walk into the tomb, they see a young man this time not fleeing naked in fear. They see a young man fully clothed in perfectly white glowing garments sitting in authority, sitting peacefully, and he's not fleeing, he's reporting. He's witnessing. He's not running from Christ. He's declaring he's alive. Which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? The naked runaway? I love the word naked. You don't say it naked. Naked runaway. Should I have said that? I'm a pastor. But anyway, I just think it's funny we Southerners say things funny. Naked. It's a, or do we want to be a glorious gospel reporter? What made the difference? It's not the same guy, but Mark's not trying to tell us it's the same guy. He's saying, look at the difference a day made. Look at the difference the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus makes. You, my friend, can be different. Nothing has to stay the same because of the resurrection. Let me show you how else he uses this. He uses this uh, exchanging of the garments to declare a spiritual truth that I just, I pray you don't forget and that it changes your life. It, 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 uh, he uses this exchange of garments to show that Jesus took our garment of shame, like the one that was ripped off of that runaway slave, or not runaway slave, but that runaway disciple, that was ripped off of that disciple. He took that garment and symbolically... We see that garment being wrapped around Jesus, his body, and that body placed in the tomb. You know what Mark is saying is, is exactly what Paul says in all of his Gospels, is that Jesus took our sin with him to the grave. He took our sin with him to the cross. He took our shame, our guilt, and he bore it on his body. And if we will repent of our sin, if we'll take that off and basically just come uh, naked before the Lord, we have nothing to hide. We, we can't hide anything, so we must just confess our sins. And if we just lay it aside and say, this is me, I'm broken, I'm an epic failure, I sin, I need help. If we will come to him like that, he will take our sinful garment and will put on us his garment of righteousness. That's why he uses that same Greek word, the, the linen shroud that was ripped off of that runaway disciple represented shame. That same linen shroud symbolically was embraced by Jesus, and he, he took it to the grave. He took it to the cross. I love this passage in... in uh, uh, Mark chapter 15. Look back in Mark chapter 15. Something, it's hard to imagine even more exciting than that. But there's another garment that's mentioned twice by Mark. It's not the linen shroud, the pajamas. It's something else. Look at verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. I just didn't know the significance of this white robe until this week in studying this passage. And this word, this is a different type of clothing. 
And you know where Mark uses this same word, this same glorious, gleaming, radiant robe? It's mentioned at the transfiguration of Jesus. Where is that? Mark chapter 9. And you might want to just note this. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. You say, what is the transfiguration? Well, he decided to take his three key disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain, and Jesus met with Moses and Elijah. Now, all of this was to show the disciples where everything was going and that Jesus was who he said he was. And when he goes up on this mountain, look at verse 2. He says, he, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I love the word bleaches in Scripture right there. That's, they couldn't be bleached that white. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The same word here. Gleaming white robes. Is it, is it significant? You better believe it. For Peter, he's saying, listen, what happened is, is this young failure of a disciple. We all fled him. Now, on the other side of the crucifixion, on the other side of the resurrection, because of the, the powerful and purifying work of Christ, now we see, not at the naked runaway, we see a, a gloriously robed, restored, redeemed person. He wants us to see ourselves there. We are promised transformation. We are promised glory. And the only way we have glory, and only way we have the robes of his righteousness is because he took our garment of sin and shame to the cross. That's the greatest exchange, isn't it? That's the great exchange. By faith, if you come to Christ and say, Christ, I I just, I got nothing but this. He says, I'll wear it and nail it to the cross. But he doesn't leave us naked. He says, come to me the way you are and I will robe you in my righteousness. And you will be transfigured in glory forever. That's the work of Easter. That's the work of the cross. That means anything can change. You can change. Your world can change. Not only do you have a new covering, you have a new courage. I love that this... this this uh, angelic messenger looks at, at them and says, do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. And then you have a new calling. He says, don't be alarmed. Go and tell. So it changes our condition, the resurrection and the cross. It changes our covering. We're now covered with his righteousness, it, but it changes our courage and our calling in life. We're no longer naked runaways. We are glorious reporters of the risen Christ. You've been changed. You don't have to stay the same. It's interesting that in this same text, and I mentioned this probably a year or so ago, preaching a series called Upside Down. 
about how Christianity changed the world. We see the, we see the resurrection beginning to change the world in the way the world thinks right here. I mean, if you trace Christianity and its impact, it's given us hospitals, it's given us universities, it's given us uh, uh, the basis of our, of our laws and our morality. It just is, no matter how many people deny it, uh, the, the principles that Christ has taught has impacted culture and the world for the good. And it started right here. Let me show you how it started. In that day, in that century, in that decade of time, no Messiah would have chosen to make the first witnesses of the resurrection women. Women were not considered reliable, authoritative witnesses. But notice what Jesus did. I'm going to change the world, he says. My first missionaries are going to be a bunch of ladies. And they're going to go tell those naked runaway disciples of mine that I'm alive. And he's been changing the world ever since. If we will share Christ and bring Christ to the world, he changes the way people think. He turns a society upside down. And he will change your future. The future of your soul. He will change the future of your body. He will change the future of creation. And all of this is because we saw him conquer death. It's interesting that when he went into that tomb, I believe Mark is is highlighting and Peter is highlighting for us where this messenger was seated. It kind of goes along with the, the change from The runaway to the reporter, the garment of shame, the garment of glory. But now, as he's reporting that Jesus is alive, he's on the right side of the tomb. And it's it's basically uh, declaring and reminding us that Jesus himself was placed at the right hand of the Father. After having made purification for our sins, it says in Scripture, he he was exalted. He He is sitting there in authority. I love, I love the, the, the power that is manifested in that picture. And it's to encourage you, church. Don't run. Don't run from obedience. Don't run from faith. Don't run from doing what's right. It will change the way you think. There's an interesting, uh, one commentator brought this out, and I haven't noticed it, but I, I love this, is that there's a lady, one of the three ladies is not mentioned in the other Gospels, but she was one of the, one of the first to see uh, the empty tomb, and her name was Salome. And you know what that word means in Hebrew? Shalom. Let's all say that. I just love the sound of that word. And know why I love that word? It means peace. Shalom. Do you know because of the resurrection you don't have to worry? A lot of us aren't running around having fled our clothing and our homes in persecution. But a lot of us are practicing our life as if God doesn't exist. We worry so much. 
We need some shalom. And the resurrected Jesus looks at his church and he looks at this world. You will find no shalom anywhere else. But with me, you'll find peace. I don't know about you, but I want that, for, I want that in my future. I want, I want victory over worry. Don't you want victory over worry? We're going to have victory over death because of the resurrection. We've got victory over sin and guilt and shame because of the cross. And I hope you never forget the picture of Jesus wrapped in your sin. I hope you won't forget that. But if you leave it there, you're incomplete. I hope you never forget that young man wrapped in glory because that's you after the resurrection because he's alive. That's you. So how do you change? Well, you've got to start at the cross. Start at the cross. That's where all change will begin. You must come to the cross. And it's interesting that the, the three ladies mentioned at the garden tomb were the only three mentioned at the cross. They were there watching from a distance, but they were there at the cross first. And then they saw the victory at the tomb. You must come to the cross. It's, it's where the bus is. The only bus. Jesus said, I am the way. Not the way to Buholtz. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The cross is where you catch the bus. Make sure you're on it. There's victory. Amen. There's victory. Start at the cross. And can I just encourage you? um, Trust the process. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what Paul said in Philippians. He who began the good work, you come to him. Say, you just don't understand, Pastor, I have fled too many times. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You come to Christ. You get on his bus. He is committed. Even if it takes discipline, he will work on you to become like him. Trust the process. Don't run. Let him work on you. Trust the process. And then I'm telling you, 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 you get this going in life, you're going to want to tell people about it. Go and tell. Tell them about your new identity. Maybe you could tell somebody about it this week. You don't believe, but I got a new set of clothes. Really? Where'd you buy them? Belks? Let me tell you about my new clothing. I didn't buy it because I couldn't afford it. Jesus purchased it for me at the cross. 
Tell them about your new identity. Tell them about uh, your shalom. It's not perfect, but it's better than not having Jesus at all, isn't it? Tell them about your shalom, your peace. Tell the story. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and just a time of reflection. Are you on the bus? Have, or have you been running? Some of you this morning, you need to repent and say, listen, I've been running. And I just know that is not going to get me where I need to go. It's not going to turn me into who I need to be. And come to Jesus. Just come to him by faith this morning. He died and rose from the dead so that you could do that this very, moment, this very moment. You can come to him. And can I tell you, there's not a secret prayer. There's not a secret thing you have to do. You just have to turn in your heart right now. Open your heart. Turn to Jesus and say, thank you for dying for my sin in my place. Thank you for loving me. Just tell that to him. Ask him now. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Just ask him, save me. I ask for the gift of eternal life. Clothe me in your righteousness. Just ask him. And he will. You can't purchase it. You can't earn it. It's just got to be grace. You just ask him. And let me just say, if you just prayed that prayer anywhere in this room, and if you didn't and you want to pray it right now or a little bit later, listen, you, it's between you and God. You've got to do it. I just pray that you will have peace. And we need to know about it. When we sing in just a moment, um, I'm going to have some of my staff around here, and I'll be here at the end of the service. would love to help you take that step if you haven't taken it. Some of you need to follow that up with baptism. I love baptism because it shows that cleansing, that change uh, in a symbolic way. You go down. One person, you come up a new person. You go down in shame, you come up in joy because of Christ. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, the pictures, even the embarrassing ones that teach us. Help us all come to Jesus, come to you, and start at the cross. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.